Welcome back everyone to Tour Today Ministries as we continue our series called Pardon My Jargon, where we try to correct some of the religious lingo that has crept up and encrusted our English translations of the Hebrew and Greek scriptures. And I know I say this at the beginning of every one of these episodes, but uh, it's my contention, and I could be wrong, and I welcome any, uh, any suggestions to that effect, that uh, the original scriptures in both Hebrew and Greek were written in street vernacular that would have been understood by anyone at the time without any misunderstandings using religious terms. But unfortunately, in our English translations, we have created so many religious terms, religious lingo, that it can often be very difficult for people just to pick up a Bible and understand what's being said, especially when it gets into some of the deeper theological issues. So anyways, with that said, let's tackle the term atonement and also the term mercy seat. Now, you may not think these two have much to do with each other, but they do, as you'll, you'll see, soon find out. So atone, atonement, and mercy seat. I call these Christianity's most misapplied terms. And I think that of all the teachings in the Pardon My Jargon series, this one might have the most profound effect on your understanding of the gospel and the work that Messiah did for us when he gave his life on the cross. Now, the word for atone in Hebrew is the word kafar, which means to cover. Um, it's generally believed that the word for cap and kippah, uh, which covers the head, comes from this word kafar. And that middle letter, the letter pay, sometimes has a PH sound and sometimes just the sound like a letter P. And uh, so Kippur, like in Yom Kippur, Day of Atonement, or as it's worded in Hebrew, Yom HaKippurim, the Day of Coverings, the Day of Atonements. So uh, Kafar is a verb. If you pronounce this word Kofar, it becomes a noun, a covering. Now, I want us to look at the first three places this word occurs in the Bible. And it will give us a picture of what this word means. So here is the first occurrence of the word kafar in scripture. It's in Genesis chapter six, verse 14. And this is the story of the flood. And God tells Noah, make yourself an ark of gopher wood, make rooms in the ark and kafar it inside and out with pitch. So we see that the word kafar right off the bat is not a religious term. It simply means to cover something. I can cover my desk with paper, cover the walls with paint, cover my body with clothing. Um, it means to kafar, to cover. Now, the second occurrence is in Genesis 32, verse 20. And this is when Jacob is giving instructions to his wives and servants as they cross over the Jabbok to encounter Esau. And he says, and you shall say, when you meet him, moreover, your servant Jacob is behind us, unquote. For he thought, I may appease him with the present that goes ahead of me. <clears throat> and afterward, I shall see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. Now, appease him is a, <clears throat> excuse me, a good English translation to, to bring across the, the, 
the, the weight of what Jacob's wanting to do. But in the Hebrew, it literally says to kafar his face, to cover his face. This is a Hebrew idiom, which means to satisfy or to appease. But where does this come from, to cover his face? Well, recall Esau wanted to kill his brother Jacob because years earlier, 20 years or more earlier, Jacob had cheated Esau out of his blessing. And Jacob had fled and gone to his uh, uncle Laban and he worked for 14 years for, for Rachel and then had Leah and, and the two handmaids thrown in and he, he had 11 sons of the 12th on the way and he's been blessed and blessed and blessed. And now he's coming back to face Esau. And the last he had heard, Esau wanted to kill him. He was so full of anger and hatred and bitterness towards Jacob. So Jacob is sending these gifts across, hoping that they will cover Esau's face. So when Esau once again thinks of Jacob, when he looks at his brother Jacob, he will see him through the gifts that he has given him and it will soften his, uh, his anger and his bitterness toward him. We find a very similar um, uh, sentiment also over in Genesis chapter 20, verse 16. It's just that the word is a little different. If you recall, Abraham had deceived Abimelech about his relationship with Sarah, saying that she's my sister. And when Abimelech found out later, because things were gone horribly wrong, God had, had really brought some problems in Abimelech's life. And so he restores Sarah back to Abraham. And it says, And to Sarah he, Abimelech, said, Behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. It is a sign of your innocence in the eyes of all who are with you. And before everyone, you are vindicated. Now, when he says a covering that it's... Um, a sign of your innocence in the eyes of all who are with you. What it says in the Hebrew, kisot enaim, it is to cover your eyes. And in other words, when uh, you think about this incident, you will think of this gift of all this money I'm giving, and you'll realize that I, I'm sorry for what happened, and I did it innocently. I didn't understand what I was doing. And also, when people see the money that I've given you, they will also know that to me, you're an innocent woman. You've forgiven me and things are okay. So you'll view this incident through the covering of this gift I'm giving. Okay, I'm belaboring a point. Let's move on to the third incident. The third appearance of the word kafar in Torah is Exodus 21, verse 30. <clears throat> the context for this is a man who owns an ox and this ox has been known to be a bit violent and tending to try to gore people. And the owner of the ox, instead of either putting the ox down, <clears throat> excuse me, I've got a, a frog in my throat here. Uh, instead of just putting the ox down or building a, uh, a strong enough fence around it to retain it, this ox gets loose, gores a man or a woman and kills them. Well, the penalty for that is death. But the judges can, they have the freedom, if they wish, is to instead to impose a ransom. And so it says if a ransom, and the word there is kafar, a covering, 
is imposed on him, then he shall give for the redemption of his life whatever is imposed on him. So in other words, the ransom the judges impose, however much money that would be, that becomes a covering for his life. What we find here with this word kafar, or its noun form kofar, is very similar to all the ways we use the term cover. You know, if um, you need to step out of the office, you may tell your coworker, I need to leave the office for a few minutes, I'll be right back, and your coworker says, fine, I'll cover for you. That's a perfectly good application of the word kafar. Or if you're dining with friends and the waitress comes up after and says, now how should I divide up the bill? And you say, I'll take care of it, I'll cover it for them. That's another perfectly appropriate application of the word kafar, to cover the expense, to cover for someone's absence. Uh, in other words, to intercede for someone else to make things right. Now, there's also another form of this word, which is kaporet, or kaporet. And here we see the letter pay with that hard P sound, kaporet. And this simply means a cover or a covering or a lid. We find it in Exodus 25, 17 as the name for the lid of the ark. You are to make a cover for the ark out of pure gold. So that lid of the ark was called the kaporet. It's the covering because it covers the box. It's a lid. Now this is where things get kind of interesting. In the King James translation, instead of simply calling the kaporet a cover or a lid, they call it a mercy seat. Now, the King James translation was not the first translation to use this term. Uh, the Tyndale translation, which came out about 75, 80 years earlier in the uh, 1530s, used the term the seat of grace. I'm not quite sure why they did that. I guess they assumed that through the stories in Scripture, we find that the cover is the place from which God spoke. The ark is something at times the high priest, Moses, or David would pray outside the curtain, outside the tabernacle towards the ark, seeking grace from God. But the cover was neither a seat, nor is the word mercy found in any way attached to it. In fact, and this may sound a little surprising to you, the term mercy seat appears nowhere, nowhere in the Hebrew or Greek scriptures. It simply is not there. It's a sentiment, it's a beautiful sentiment that is applied to the kaporet, the cover, the lid, but it's nothing more than a sentiment. And if we want to do serious study in the Word of God, we need to use the terms that are provided to us from the original scriptures. Now, I know I'm always harping and ragging on the King James translation, but uh, it, it, there's good cause for this. Now, don't get me wrong, it's beautiful English, and sometimes there are a few places where the King James actually gets it right and gets it better than some of our more accurate translations. I, I will give, uh, give that to it. But uh, generally speaking, if you want to do serious Bible study, 
don't use the King James translation. If you want to read good literature, read the King James. If you want to study, find something better. Now, this is why I bring this up. Nowhere in the Bible is Messiah's work on the cross called an atonement. I know we, we grow up thinking that we're, we're glorifying his work and we're really lifting up what he accomplished on the cross and what he accomplished was magnificent. But it's never called an atonement. It was actually something much better. And I should say, it's never called an atonement except for one place, and that would be in the King James translation. And that's Romans 5.11, where it says, Not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. Unfortunately, the Greek word there is katalage, which means a reconciliation, something completely different from covering. I want you to understand something. What Yeshua did on the cross did not cover our sins. What he did removed them. Whenever I talk about this, I'm reminded of my, my old seventh grade uh, social studies teacher. He was a uh, World War II veteran and he served over in Europe during the war. And he was in the transportation division and he would always regale us with stories from his, his days in World War II in Europe. And I remember him telling about while they were in France. Uh, they had to keep their trucks clean. These trucks are always painted army green and they had to keep them clean. And so one of the things he always had to do was just wash them because that was army standards. He says, well, we went through a period of time where there was a water shortage. There simply was not water to wash the trucks, but we had barrels and barrels of green paint. So instead of washing the trucks, we just painted right over the dirt and everything. He said those trucks must have had 50 coats of paint on them, dirt and all, by the time we were done. And this, <laughs> as funny as it might be about covering the dirt on trucks, what Yeshua did for us is not cover the dirt. He did not cover the sin. He removed it. And the writer of, of Hebrews tells us in, in chapter 10, verse 4 and verse 11, says, For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. See, bulls and goats, these are what were offered on the day of Yom Kippur, the day of covering. And they were meant to cover the sins of the people. Similarly to way the way the money that Abimelech paid to Abraham and the gifts that Jacob sent to Esau, they, they covered our sins so God would view the sins of the people through the sacrificial animals that the people had offered in a way of saying, though we can't remove our sins, we can't go back and undo them. To express our repentance and our desire to be clean before you, we're offering these animals. We must never think of the sacrifices as a way of appeasing an angry God. That's a pagan concept. But these sacrifices are what God said, now this is what you do. This is what you do to express repentance and regret for your sins. But um, Isaiah in Isaiah 59.20, Isaiah the prophet spoke of a day when God 
would not atone for sins anymore, but actually remove them. And Paul quotes this passage in Romans 11, verses 26 and 27. He, he writes, And in this way all Israel will be saved, as it is written, quote, The Deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Take them away. And this is what we find throughout the apostolic scriptures. How about John the Immerser, when Yeshua approached him to be immersed? It says, the next day he saw Yeshua coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God, who covers the sins of the world? No, who takes away the sin of the world. And then later, John in 1 John writes, You know that he appeared in order to take away sins. So correct this in your mind. What Yeshua did was not an atonement. Atone means to kafar, to cover. It means also sometimes to appease. But what Yeshua did was so much more than that. He removed our sins. He removed them as far as the east is from the west. And they are gone. Ah, now that is quite a deliverance. So let's not be guilty of calling what he did an atonement. What he did was so much better. So I hope you've been blessed by this uh, episode of Pardon My Jargon. And I look forward to next time. I'm not sure which one we'll do next, but uh, there are a few more left in this series. And if there are some terms you would like to ask about, please email me. You'll find the link below. You go to our website and email me there or however it is you're listening to this podcast. So until next time, I wish you shalom and may God bless. Over and out.